Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. We are delighted that you're here today. We're delighted that you chose to worship with us this morning. And uh, we want to say good morning to those of you who are joining us online. And uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for being in your spot online. We have uh, just a few things we want to do before we jump into Acts chapter 11, I think we're in this morning. And so uh, we want to take some time and pray for one another. So if you have a bulletin, if you're here in the uh, sanctuary and you have a bulletin, please pull one of those out. There's a spot there for you to jot down some prayer requests. And if you're at home, we invite you to take something to write with. We would love to be able to... uh, yeah, have you pray with us. Aaron, it's really good to see you. Aaron Veach is here with his wife. Uh, a long time, man, how long ago were you part of this congregation, Aaron? I used to sit right about here and make eyes at my wife over there back in the 70s. <laughs> I saw you two walk in. It is an honor and a delight to have you two with us today. God bless you, brother, and your faithful service to our Lord uh, over the years. Uh, many of you might remember Aaron from back in the 70s when you were much younger, and uh, it's good to have you both with us. Uh, we had some prayer requests I mentioned, so let's do that. Let's take some time to pray. Before you write these down, I want to give you a couple of reminders of things to think about and to pray for. Um, next Sunday, we're going to begin our Sunday morning prayer time which is a great way for you to be kind of invested in our Sunday morning service. So at 9.45, right there in the chapel in the library, it's the door that's right there, uh, we invite you to come and uh, just pray with us. You'll be given some uh, information on what you can pray for for that specific day. Terry Madsen will lead that effort, and then I'll be in there. Some of our worship team might be in there, but others who just want to pray together will do so at 945. We'll do so for just a few moments, so you can still come out and say hi to everyone that comes out for the service, but I appreciate uh, a group of people that just want to get together and pray on Sunday morning, so we'll be doing that at 945 on Sundays. And then in a couple of weeks, we're going to celebrate the Abbots. Yesterday, Braden and Bethany Abbott got married, and it was a beautiful service, uh, a few of us were there, of course, from our church. I was able to do the service. It was awesome. And so I believe there'll be an announcement at the end of the service for those who want to help plan the service or plan the reception. Um, so um, that's today, right? After the service. Okay. Thank you, Rita. So be uh, thinking about that. And then uh, some prayer requests. We want to pray for Margie Crane who's been having some heart complications. Uh, If you would jot her name down and pray for Margie, that would be great. Uh, We also want to be praying for Becky McNew. I didn't see her this morning, but I saw Jessica. Becky's going to have surgery on her elbow on October 4th. Uh, Remember when October felt like a long time away? That's next week. Uh, So that's next Tuesday. So pray for Uh, Becky McNew in that surgery. I believe it's in Portland. Um, And so let's pray for that. And then we want to pray for uh, Gene Hinkle's uh, son, Greg. His mother-in-law has been in the hospital since Wednesday unresponsive. And they don't know what's going on. And so we want to pray for her. Do you remember her first name, Gene? Do you remember her name, her first name? Liz. Liz. Let's pray for Greg's mother-in-law Liz this morning 
And then I got an email from Shelly this morning. We want to pray for Brian Priest, a good friend of the family. The kids um, call him Uncle Brian. Brian Priest um, has some neurological symptoms. um, And so we just want to be praying for uh, Shelly's friend, Brian, um, as they evaluate to see what's going on there. And then a couple of others, we want to pray for um, every Sunday in our service, we want to be praying for other churches in our county that are preaching the gospel, that are seeking to glorify our Savior. <clears throat> we have what's called a uh, prayer partner sheet <clears throat> that's in the lobby. And uh, this Sunday, we're praying for Church on the Rise, Pastor Josh Bricky, and so we'll be praying for him. He's a new pastor in our area. I think it's just been about nine months for him. He started in January, and so we want to be praying for Josh this morning. And then uh, it was Loretta's birthday yesterday, so um, we're going to pray a special blessing on Loretta as well. Anybody else have a birthday or anniversary this last week? Angela? Oh, is it? this? It's upcoming, Angela? Yep. Uh, anybody else have a birthday or anniversary this last week? You did, Kurt? Your anniversary? How long? 22 years for Kurt and Cynthia? That's fantastic. We want to pray a blessing over them as well. Let's do this. Let's pray over these, and then we'll, uh, we'll continue with our service today. Father, thank you for the moments that we get to share on Sundays, Lord. Thank you for um, everyone who prepares to help Sunday morning happen, Lord. I'm just so appreciative of those who work in our children's department those who help us uh, get coffee and who bring in treats for us to enjoy, those who uh, work security and keep an eye on the property and on our uh, building, those who come in early to set up the lights and the sound and all of this stuff, Lord. I just, I'm grateful for people who voluntarily commit to um, investing in Sunday morning so that we could have this worship experience. Um, I pray that even in this moment, we would recognize we do it for an audience of one. We do it for our Savior. And so we do pray the things that happen, the things that are said would be honor, uh, honoring and glorifying to you, Lord. We have requests as a church family, Lord, and so at this time, we want to present these to you, Lord. We do pray for Margie Crane and the recent uh, heart complications and health um, concerns she has had. We pray for Brian Priest this morning and some of the neurological um, symptoms that they've been having and, and doctors as they look to help him evaluate and treat. We pray for uh, Becky and this elbow surgery in a couple weeks. We pray that it would do exactly what it's supposed to do. We pray that uh, recovery would go well and doctors and everyone involved um, would be successful there. We do pray for Liz this morning, who's been unresponsive since Wednesday. We pray for Greg and the family as they love and care for her, but also we pray for answers, Lord. Um, it's a long time to be in the hospital and not have answers, and so we pray for that, Lord. We pray for those who are celebrating uh, birthdays and anniversaries, Lord. We're grateful for Loretta, Lord, and we just pray blessings and honor and favor on her life. Thank you for her, her testimony, her uh, faithfulness to our Savior. Uh, we do love her so and uh, thankful for her. Pray for Kurt and Cynthia, Lord, 22 years, Lord. Uh, we are grateful for those types of milestones and marriages, and we pray, Lord, that you would uh, just continue to watch over, bless, uh, guide, and protect them. Give them wisdom in the days to come as they parent, as they um, 
as they continue on in life. Father, as we look at Acts chapter 11 and um, we, we look at this church in Antioch, I pray that it would not just be a historical lesson for us, but that we would pull real and significant spiritual truths for us to um, implement in our lives today. That's our prayer, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. What do people call you? Do you have a nickname? Um, I've had a lot of nicknames over the years. Uh, with a name like Malaputi, it kind of comes with the territory. Um, I was asking Darren this morning if he had a nickname growing up. And honestly, I was really hoping for an embarrassing nickname. They called him Flash. Not really embarrassing. Um, one of my nicknames was Slow-Mo, so there's that. Uh, it hurts when you laugh. Um, but I, had a, uh, I went to the same junior high that my older brother went to and my older sister went to. And we had uh, our coach, PE, Coach Daniels. And Coach Daniels had Steve, he had my sister, he had me. Um, and the first time he met Steve, he mispronounced our last name. And so instead of Malapudi, he called us Mopaludi. <laughs> so like eight years later, when I go into junior high on the first day of P.E., Mopaludi. Um, <laughs> Because he couldn't get it right, and it turned into a nickname. I was asking Libby this morning if she had any interesting nicknames. Uh, she said one of her nicknames was Bolini. Because Elizabeth is Libby, and then she had, I think it was a teacher that went from Libby to Libolini, and then shortened it to Bolini. Um, this summer I watched uh, Top Gun. Did you guys watch Top Gun? I loved that movie. I loved it three times I watched it in the theaters. I loved it a lot. Every time, so my brother would come into town and he hadn't watched it, so Libby and I took him to watch it. And then her brother came into town and he hadn't watched it, so we took him. If you haven't seen it yet and it's still in the theaters, just let me know. I'll go with you. Um, I really loved the movie. I liked the nicknames that they had in the movie. And so I started thinking about what would my nickname be today if I was one of those pilots. Um, and I narrowed it down to a few uh, my nickname in junior high after we got past Mapaluti for a good couple of months was Dark Man. I really liked that one. Uh, Reverend was an option for obvious reasons. Uh, Freight Train was another one. When I used to play basketball and I would run like for a layup or down the court like a freight train, it was really hard for me to stop because I had so much, right? So Freight Train was one. Uh, I told you about Slow Mo. Uh, what do people call you? I'm going to ask you that question several times today, because as we take a closer look at this church at Antioch, I really want to let this question rest in your hearts today. What do people call you? As we're introduced to the church in the city of Antioch, we'll notice that the church in Antioch grew as Gentiles turned to the Lord. Uh, let's just go ahead and pick it up in verse 19 this morning. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. There's bulletins. You can also follow us in the Bible app. There's notes in there as well. It says this in verse 19. Now, as those were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, Speaking the word to who? No one except Jews. 
We've kind of entered this phase in the book of Acts. We called it, uh, at the beginning, we said that the church starts, right? Acts 1 through about Acts 6 and 7, we see the church start. We see that the Holy Spirit comes down upon those that were waiting. They're able to miraculously speak in tongues. They're able to preach the gospel. And this is really the starting of what we know as the church. It's brand new to them. Christ has already ascended. He is, uh, he is ascended and he told them to wait. And after all these things transpire, the church starts. We then saw a shift for the church uh, where they started to scatter. It started in Jerusalem, but as Jesus gave them instruction, he said, uh, there will come a day where you will become witnesses for me. And you'll start in Jerusalem, but then you'll go to Judea and Samaria, and then into the uttermost parts of the earth. And so, uh, we see this phase in the book of Acts where now they're scattering. Scripture even, scripture even uses that word here in Acts chapter 19. Now, those who were scattered. Um, now, here's the thing. When they started preaching the gospel... They did so, they followed that uh, piece of instruction, but look how they followed it. Speaking the word to no one except Jews. It still became a really difficult concept for the church to understand that the gospel was for everyone. When they heard the instructions of Jesus, they took it to mean we're going to preach the gospel to everyone who is also Jewish that hasn't turned towards our Savior. We read on in verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. The Hellenists is, uh, is another word for those who are Greek. They're Gentiles. In our study of Acts, anytime we see Hebrews or Greeks or Gentiles, for our purposes, they're basically the outsiders compared to the Jewish people. So there were some of them, the Bible said, that spoke to the Greeks also. And verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So at first, Christians scattered all over the Roman Empire preaching only to the Jews, and yet there's a couple of men who take it upon themselves to actually preach the gospel to both Hellenists and Greeks and the ones that we would consider as outsiders. Verse 20 doesn't say who these are, but these unnamed disciples of both Cyprus and Cyrene are genuine heroes because they took the word of the Lord at face value. They took the, the interaction between Peter and Cornelius and, and the Holy Spirit coming upon those Gentiles, and they were able to speak in tongues. And in Peter's own words, it says this, the Holy Spirit came on them just like it came on us. They took these words, they embraced them, and they started preaching the gospel to those who were maybe not Jewish. And so in Antioch, we have the first example of Christians deliberately targeting outsiders or Gentiles for evangelism. So I have a map of Antioch here uh, that you can kind of see. The left-hand blue portion is the Mediterranean Sea uh, in the middle top portion of the map is Syrian Antioch. Jerusalem is all the way on the bottom near the Jordan River. As we think about Antioch, it's important to get some historical context. It was founded about 300 years before Christ uh, by Seleucus, I believe. Uh, we're going to go with that. One of the inheritors of the uh, Alexander the Greek, uh, Great's empire. 
And his tradition is this. He would name these cities that he liked after his father, whose name was Antioch. The only thing is he did this about 15 times. So over the course of time, there was like 15 cities that all bore the name Antioch. And so to distinguish this Antioch we're talking about, this one was called the Syrian Antioch. In the first century, it was a city of more than a half a million people. Today, it's the Turkish city uh, with a population of about 3,500. But according to, according to the time that we have in Scripture, there was a half a million people in Antioch. This is a huge area. And often like today, these ancient cities had identities, right? Roseburg is known for uh, the Umpqua River, right? Um, it's known for the timber industry in 30 years ago, perhaps. Uh, now, perhaps it's becoming known for the wine industry. Uh, in the same way, many considered Syrian Antioch, this city, the greatest city in the Roman Empire behind Rome and Alexandria. It had a lot of prestige. It was known for business and commerce, but also for immorality. One theologian said it this way, the city's reputation for a moral laxity was enhanced by the cult of Artemis and Apollo at Daphne, five miles away where the ancient Syrians would worship and uh, with its ritual prostitution, this is how they worshiped. So this is the kind of city we're talking about, a kind of city that put a preeminence on both money and sex, a kind of city that raised the stakes when it came to pursuing every kind of monetary goal and pleasing themselves with every kind of sexual urge. This is how they worshiped. This is how they lived. This was what the priority was for them. What do people call you? For the city of Antioch, they were known for their attention both in business, commerce, and money, and then to please every sexual urge. And so when the gospel came to Cornelius and he became followers of Jesus, it came to people who were already God-fearers. Cornelius already had a respect for God. The people around him looked up to Cornelius because of the way he respected God. In this case, when the church started sharing the gospel and evangelizing the Hellenists and the Gentiles and the Greeks who were outside of their normal Jewish custom, it came to people who were part of an utterly pagan society. Verse 21 says this, though, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Because God was with them, their ministry was blessed, it multiplied, and the result was a great number believed and turned to the Lord. If you're following in your notes this morning, a place we're starting is this, a ministry can't turn to people to the Lord unless the hand of the Lord is with them. Now, we can take all sorts of efforts to turn people to a personality with the ha without the hand of the Lord. We can take all sorts of efforts to turn people to a social club without the hand of the Lord, or to even a, uh, a church service without the hand of the Lord. But to get people to turn to the Lord, to repent, to live their lives in a way where their lives have been transformed by the grace of God, it really necess necessitates the hand of the Lord. The phrase there in verse 21 is this, they believed and turned to the Lord. It's a description of both faith and repentance. It's one thing to put your faith in God. It's another thing to be headed this way for so long and say, I'm now turning around and now I'm going this way. I used to prioritize money and sex as the Antioch people do. And now I'm going to prioritize the values that come with being a Jesus follower. And so this is the kind of impact that the gospel had in Antioch. 
Now the report comes in. Look at verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So the church in Jerusalem hears what's happening way up in Antioch, and what they end up doing is they send Barnabas to Antioch to help, to encourage He's known for his generosity. We've seen that in Acts chapter 4. Uh, he's, we, we remember uh, Barnabas as the guy where, uh, where no one trusted Saul after his conversion. Remember that? Barnabas was the one who goes and pursues Saul, gives him a warm acceptance and disciples him. He's the one that is known as uh, the son of encouragement. He has the gift of encouragement. By the way, do you have anyone like that in your life? where they just encourage you really well. They know how to encourage you. Maybe you're that person for other people. This is what Barnabas is known for. He's known for his generosity, uh, his acceptance of outsiders, and his encouragement. And so Barnabas had this nickname, the son of encouragement. Again, what do people call you? When they identify you, what do they call you? At the church in Antioch, Barnabas had seen the grace of God. He was very pleased by that. Um, there was not an emphasis on self or man-made rules. There was this new energy of people hearing the gospel that were once outsiders, and now they were committing their lives to Jesus. He was very encouraged by this. And as we read about what has happened in the church of Antioch, we gain a view into the window of what was happening between the leadership and the church. Barnabas focused his main job as a leader of the congregation by strengthening the church family itself, and many people added to the church. In your notes, the goal for the leadership of the church is to build up and strengthen the followers of Jesus who make up the church. This is the goal of our church. It's the plan for church growth that's spoken in Ephesians. We're going to look at that verse in a moment. But as people are equipped for the work of the ministry, they grow into maturity and they find their ministry. Acts, or I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11 says this. And he, speaking of Jesus, gave the, uh, let's actually read these two verses together. Ready, begin. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Look at verse 12. Who is to do the work of the ministry? The saints. It's not my job. <laughs> Let me clarify. It's not my job only, right? So God gave apostles. He gave prophets. He gave evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. He gave these roles as a function in the church because we have the mantle of responsibility, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, right? Uh, the purpose of these gifts of leadership is also clear. It is that the saints might be equipped for the work of the ministry. So if you, and it depends where you're at in your spiritual maturity, uh, but there needs to come a place in your life 
where you genuinely ask God, Lord, what is my ministry? How can I serve the body? How can I serve the church? What have you given me in my, in my capacities, in my resources, in my talents that would further the work of the ministry? Yeah, it's a difference between being a spectator and being a participant, right? Now, if you are a spectator here Sunday morning, and you'd classify, um, we welcome you, we love you, and we are grateful for you. We're also praying that at some point, God speaks to you uh, about your resources, your talents, your expertise, and gives you a place where you can also be a participant to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We read on in Ephesians 4, verse 13, until we, what's the next word? Let's say it again all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. How many of you know the baby stage is really cute? We've had a couple of babies come through our home as foster babies, and I didn't know, but I love taking care of babies. I really do. I just love it. You know what would be really weird is if I take care of them the same way when they're 10 years old. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be really weird. Be a little creepy. Right? Because babies are a stage. The verse from uh, Paul, he's trying to paint an image. He's saying this, uh, at some point in our life, we should, res- we, should, uh, we should have this growth, we should have this maturity, all of us attain this unity in the fellowship so that we may na- no longer be children. Being a child is a completely acceptable, loving, normal phase of being human. It's temporary though, Amen. It's temporary. And at some point, if we're healthy, if we're growing, we start becoming adults. We may no longer be children. Uh, One of the reasons we prioritize teaching directly from the Bible, uh, verse by verse, usually on a Sunday morning, is because we want our people to be solid in their foundation. This is what he's talking about in verse 14. Otherwise, we will be carried away by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to, say those next two words with me, grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Paul says this, our job is to grow up. We are to grow up. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This speaks to not only how we're able to relate to one another in God's family, but also how leaders and saints are to deal with deceivers. We deal with them in love, but never budging from the truth. When the gifted offices work right and the saints are properly equipped, Christian maturity increases and there's greater intimacy in the experience of God. Also notice when he speaks about growth, it's it's not about your growth. Look at verse 16 again. 
He says in verse 15, um, it's time for us to grow up, verse 16, from whom the whole body, every joint, each part, the body grows up so that it builds itself up in love. You know what happens when you grow in your spiritual life? We grow. That's an amazing thing that God has allowed us to experience. That when you uh, develop a discipline for reading scripture and studying it and praying, or maybe the next step for you is generosity. And when you start portioning out part of your money to give back because God has given so much to you, or maybe the next part for you is, uh, is, to, is to come out of your comfort zone and serve in a, in a capacity. When you grow, we grow. Here's the thing, when you fail to grow, what happens to we? Yeah, we are, we, are, we are symbiotic in this relationship. It's a fascinating thing the way God has designed the local church. We read on in Acts chapter 11, verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. I love this because Barnabas remembers his dear brother Saul, how he was sent to Tarsus for his own protection. Remember, there were some believers that weren't quite sure. Uh, I think scripture even says pretty plainly they were not sure whether or not his repentance was authentic. This is the same Saul. We know who Saul is. So Barnabas now sends for Saul, and he spends a whole year, the Bible says, with him uh, and, and disciples him and, and grows with him. To seek Saul, the, the, that word there in uh, verse 25 where it says, to look for Saul means to hunt for diligently. He looked for Saul with intent. So for as a whole year, they assembled together with the church, and they taught great many people. And Barnabas and Saul saw many people coming to the church at Antioch. Again, I want to ask this question. What do people call you? Do you remember what they called Saul? Saul was a Pharisee, right? He knew the law inside and out. Saul was a law keeper. He was the one that held on to the law. Saul was a persecutor, right? He was the one that persecuted the churches, and, and we see that Saul was a murderer. The Bible said he was consenting into uh, Stephen's death. He was a zealot. He was passionate. He was a Pharisee. He was all these things. Now, he's a child of God. Now, he's sought after. Now he's valuable. Now he's treasured. It's a good reminder for us this morning in your notes that a chapter in our lives should not speak for the whole book. A chapter in our lives shouldn't speak for the whole book. There's some chapters in my life that if you read them and you made a decision based on them, uh, well, some people have. You wouldn't trust me any farther than you can throw me. And you can't throw me that far. <laughs> Remember the first song we sang this morning? Bring your tired. Bring your shame. Bring your guilt. Bring your pain. And then the lyricist says this, don't you know that's not your name? 
You'll always be much more to me. The chorus is this. Every day I wrestle with the voices that keep telling me I'm not right. And that's all right because I hear a voice. And he calls me redeemed. When others say I'll never be enough and greater is the one living inside of me than he who is living in the world. Amen. I don't know who needs to hear this this morning, but a chapter in your life does not speak for the whole book. And so if at some point in your life you were, you were a failure, at some point in your life you were in jail, at some point in your life you are homeless, at some point, maybe it's even today, it doesn't mean that we get to base our whole judgment of a people based on the chapters of their book because God comes in and he restores and he redeems us and he calls us a child of the king. So whatever chapter you're in right now, it is not the entirety of your story. In fact, God steps in on the cross and he says, it is finished. The story I have for them, it is finished, but it's not finished today. It's finished in the long run. And God redeems and he restores people. This is what he's in the business for. This is why we, uh, this is why the gospel's for everyone. Because as soon as we start dictating or deciding who the gospel is for, we've already written off some people and their stories. And I'm telling you, it is against the very truth of the gospel. Our chapter in our lives shouldn't speak for the whole book. Um, I'm so glad I'm not who I was at 18. I'm so glad, man, I love getting older. Can I just tell you that? Uh, and I've said it before, it's because old people get away with things. Um, y'all laugh, but you do. You get away with things. But I'm telling you, man, the older I get, the further I get away from that 18-year-old, the further I get away from that 22-year-old, the further I get away from that 30-year-old who would break his parents' heart and let people down. And I get to see how God has redeemed how he has restored. And so when I get to meet people and they might be in the chapter of their life that is so dark and scary that they don't want anyone else to hear it. They don't want anyone else to read it. They don't want anyone else to be in that chapter with them. And I get to stand there and tell them I'm a person of an unreasonable hope because I've seen what he's done for me. And so for right now, I want to sit with you in that chapter. And one day, I want to sit with you when we walk into your next chapter and we see the restoration and the redemption of Jesus Christ. What do people call you? The disciples were first called Christians. That's the phrase there that we just read. It wasn't until years at the, until these years at the church in Antioch that the name Christian became associated with followers of Jesus Christ. They had been called disciples. They'd been called saints. They'd been called believers and brothers and sisters and witnesses, followers of the way. They'd been called Nazarenes. Now they would be called Christians. So what does that mean? First of all, just three quick points about that title. Number one, Christian was a title of identity. Everyone say those words with me. Christian was a title of identity. In the Latin, the ending I-A-N means the party of. So Christian could be described as the party of Jesus. 
Christian was sort of like saying, I'm a Jesusite. I'm a Jesus people. I'm describing myself as someone who associates with Jesus Christ. Soldiers under particular generals in the Roman army identified themselves by their generals' names by adding I-A-N to it. So, a soldier under Caesar would be a Caesarian. Didn't look right when I was saying it. Um, (laughs) Soldiers under Jesus Christ would be called Christian. So, in Antioch, they probably first used the term Christian to mock the followers of Jesus. But as the people of Antioch called the followers of Jesus, the Jesus people perhaps, the believers appreciated the title, so it stuck. Uh, H.A. Ironside was a Canadian-American preacher. He says that while he was traveling in China years ago, he was frequently introduced as a Yasuin. At first, he didn't know what that word meant, but he asked about it, and he learned that Yasu was the Cantonese word for Jesus, and Yan was the translation for man, people were introducing him as the Jesus man. Yasuin, Christian, was a title of identity. It identified who you are. What do people call you? Christian was also a title of priority. It's a title of priority. Um, First called Christians also had the idea that they were called Christians before they were called anything else. So today, Christians, we need to be willing to take the title, the idea of Jesus' people, before any other title. Before we're Protestant, before we're charismatic, before we're Republican, Democrat, American, Oregonian, whatever it might be, they were called first Christians. In church history, Eusebius was an early church historian, and he described a believer named Sanctus from Lyons, France, who was tortured for Jesus. As they tortured him cruelly, they hoped to get him to say something evil or blasphemous. So they asked for his name, and he said, I am a Christian. Well, what nation do you belong to? And he said, I am a Christian. (laughs) What city do you live in? I'm a Christian. His questioners, his interrogators began to get angry, and they would ask him, are you a slave or are you a free man? And his response was only this, I am a Christian. No matter what they asked about him, he prioritized his identity in Christ, and he kept on repeating, I am a Christian. This made his torturers all the more determined to break him, and he died with the words, I am a Christian, on his lips. Christian was a title of identity. It identified who you are. It was a title of priority. It was a priority in your life before any other title. It was also a title of action. It was a title of action. We want to pick it up in verse 27. It says this. Now in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus. Everyone say Agabus. I have to say it, so do you. (laughs) One of them said, Agabus stood up and foretold by his spirit that they would be a great famine all over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius, verse 29. So the Christians determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. 
We don't know exactly how Agabus showed, was showed by the spirit that this famine was coming. But when he determined that it was, and it was a reliable source of information, do you see what the church did? Verse 29, they determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. Christians took the word seriously and they generously acted upon the need. It's a title of action. Here's what's so amazing about this verse. According to church history and general history, we believe this is the first charitable act of this nature in history where one race of people collected money to help another race of people. Remember where we are? We're in Antioch. This is the Hellenists. This is the Greeks. These are the Gentiles. These are the outsiders. It wasn't just a few years ago that they couldn't worship in the same synagogue. It wasn't just a few years ago that they would have to pass on the other side of the street. Otherwise, when they got home, the Jewish people would have to cleanse themselves. It was just a few years ago that these people were considered outsiders and all sorts of rituals would have to be done in order to interact with them. And now these same outsiders, moved by the Spirit of God, now they're transformed. The chapter in their lives is no more. Now they're redeemed. They're restored. They're in the family of God, and they hear about these needs that are coming from Judea, where the brothers in Christ that are Jewish are in need. And what do they do? They take an offering to go send relief to those brothers in Judea. This is the transforming power of the gospel. It wasn't just a title of identity on the way they identified themselves. It was more than that. It prioritized everything in their life. And when push came to shove and action was required, Christian was a title of action. And they did so sending help and relief. It's a title of identity. It's a title of priority. And it's a title of action. You know they have a magazine called Runner Magazine? I'm assuming it's for people who run. <laughs> I have not purchased said magazine. Because <laughs> I am not a runner. I wonder what the steps would, I would have to take in my life for me to identify as a runner. You just help me and tell me how many things I would have to do before I could identify as a runner. If I bought the magazine, is that enough? If I read the articles, guys, is that enough for me to be a runner? If I went, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a running store in Eugene off of Oakway. Um, if I went to the running store and I bought running shoes, am I a runner? They're like $200 a pair, guys. Are you sure? <laughs> if, I, um, if I watched people run, <laughs> am I a runner? <sighs> I'm running out of steps, aren't I? If I put the shoes on, right? Thank you, Mike. It took me a doctor to figure out what the next step was. <laughs> If I put the shoes on, am I a runner? Okay, so here's the thing. As silly as this is, we got to stop treating our faith like this. 
as your pastor, we must stop treating our faith like this and say, well, I showed up on Sunday. I'm a Christian. Are you? Does it identify you? Because you spent an hour and a half of all the hours in the week in church? Is that enough? Well, well, Daniel, I, 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 uh, I like your Facebook page. And I share things when I think they're funny. And I try to be a good person that way. Yeah, but does it prioritize your life? When people think of you, do they think of, yeah, with all the other things they have in their life, they're a Christian. And that prioritizes their life. Yeah, he's a Laker fan and he's a Bengal fan and we feel sorry for him for those things. But he's a Christian. And that's how he prioritizes his life. In fact, he won't, he won't go there because he's a Christian. He won't do this. She won't do this because she's a Christian. Can I tell you a story? Um, there's a really pivotal point in my life where I was drawing a line in the sand of who I, who I was as a believer. And I went to, with some friends to a game, to a football game. And on the way home, it's probably eight or nine of us in one vehicle. They stopped at a strip club. And I truly believe it was so they could mark me one way or another. And I didn't yell and I didn't protest. And I said, Dear Lord, what, how do I make my stand? And I sat in the vehicle in the parking lot for two and a half hours. Does it prioritize your life? When people think of you, do they, do they prioritize Christian over everything else? And then, does it move you to act? When someone's in need and someone's hurting and someone is uh, in need of encouragement or resources or a meal or something, and it is in your power to help, do you act? Because I think far too many of us are picking up Runner Magazine, picking up some shoes, putting them in our closet and saying, oh, I'm a runner. I have the magazine to prove it, and I have the shoes in my closet. And we are treating our faith the same way. And God help us. It is my prayer that we become like the church at Antioch that simply embraces our faith for what it is, simplifies it to the point that simply says, where God leads, I'm going to go. How he moves, I'm going to go. I'm going to act when the Spirit leads me. And I was talking with a group of people this week, and some of us perhaps don't move on the Spirit of God because it's been so long since we've heard him. Christian is a title of identity. Does it identify you this morning? Have you come to the place where you identify yourself as a Christian? Have you been baptized, which is the whole point of baptism, where at that moment where you are baptized into the faith, you are identifying with God, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, but you're also identifying with a group of people that are also following Jesus. It's a title of priority. Where in your life... 
is God the priority? Is he the priority in your finances? Is he the priority in your relationships? Is he the priority in your time? Is he the priority in your attention? And it's a title of action. Does your faith move you? They were called first Christians at Antioch. Let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, as we consider the church in Antioch, as we consider what it looks like for the church to simply respond, I'm so encouraged that it was, a, it was something they identified as. Father, I, I, I pray for our church um, that Christian would be more than the title of our church, but it would be a way for people to identify us. That when they see our lives, they'd be like, you know them, they're just loving and giving and kind. You know, they're Christians. And that would help identify how we live our lives. Father, I pray that um, as we consider being a Christian, that you would help us prioritize places in our life. It would prioritize our money. It would prioritize our relationships. That being a Christian would prioritize the way we spend our time and what we give our attention to. And then, Lord, I pray that as Christians, we would pick up the running shoes and we would run that it would become a part of our life to be moved with action as your Holy Spirit leads us. Not by compulsion, not by a list of to-dos that we think we have to do to earn your favor, but simply a way to live out our faith, I pray that we would be moved with action. Church, with your heads bowed and giving attention to these areas, I pray that you would reflect and respond for a few moments. Is it a title that identifies you? Is it a title that prioritizes your life? And is it a title in your life that moves you to action? Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.